You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we're going to be breaking down the results of UFC 247 Jones versus Reyes, as well as giving you my predictions for you for the NXT TakeOver Portland card, which takes place this upcoming Sunday, February 16th from Portland, Oregon. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, guys, how's everybody doing tonight? Like I said, we have a lot to cover, and I didn't even cover everything in the intro because we also have to talk about some UFC fight announcements, which uh, were mainly announced for UFC on ESPN Plus 30, which takes place on April 11th. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. Let's start off, obviously, first of all, with UFC 247. A lot of people were going into this card thinking, you know, it's not that good of a pay-per-view card. There's really not a lot to to offer the fans on this card. It's not going to be that great. Jones is probably going to dominate, and that is not what happened. Now, honestly, if you saw the fight, I believe that Dominic Reyes beat John Jones three rounds to two. I gave J- Dominic Reyes the first three rounds, and I gave John Jones rounds four and rounds five because he was able to put that championship pressure on Dominic Reyes and land good takedowns and just control a little bit more with his wrestling in the fourth and the fifth round because Dominic Reyes was so tired. But if you listen to my predictions, I basically broke down exactly what Dominic Reyes had to do to win the fight. And he pretty much did everything to win the fight. It was move on constantly move left to right, move laterally. uh, So Jones can't really catch you. Jones can't have you stuck staring in a mirror, just looking at him and he can land his attacks on you, land his strikes, land his shots and set up everything. If you're constantly moving, if you put the pressure on John Jones right off the bat, that's going to be your best bet. And that's exactly what he did. He came out right away in that first round and threw a straight left hand, got into the clinch and threw bombs over and over and over again, trying to land on John Jones. He was moving right, moving left, cutting angles, just circling, trying to pressure Jones up against the fence and then land his combinations. And one thing I said about Dominic Reyes was his variety was going to be a problem for John Jones. He doesn't throw a lot of flashy techniques, but he has variety, including going to the body, then working up top, then going to the legs, then going back to the body, then faking up top. And if he hurts you, he will circle, he will pressure you, and he will not stop striking no matter what angle you move at. If he's pushing you forward, if he's pushing you back, landing his right hook to a left straight to an uppercut, and then you circle to your left, He's going to constantly move that way to circle you towards the other way. And he's going to put those feelers out there with those fake faint jabs to get you to try to move the other way, move into his uh, power left, come back in with that lead uppercut or right hook to direct you into the straight left. And that's exactly what he did, man. It was a beautiful performance from Dominic Reyes. And I'm not saying that John Jones didn't have his moments and he didn't win some rounds because he definitely did. John Jones won the fourth and the fifth round. In my opinion, there were, there was no doubt about that. You could maybe give Dominic Reyes the fourth round, but I don't think so. I mean, he had a good open seg- open exchanges in that round where he came out and landed a good uh, right hook on Jones, which uh, directed him into that power left of Dominic Reyes. Um, but yeah, like I said, it had to be three rounds to two. Jones did do a lot of good things, but one thing I noticed the most was that that left body kick from Southpaw was money for Dominic Reyes the whole entire fight. That left high kick, those left, um, that left outside or inside leg kick, I, I believe it would be a inside leg kick because Jones was in the opposite stance, but 
He was constantly putting the pressure on on John Jones, getting in close, backing him off, over overhand lefts, right uppercuts. He got him in a clinch position when Jones pushed him up against the fence and landed that left uppercut up the middle to that right hook to angle him off on the side and get the angle to land that power left hand. It was it was beautiful work from Dominic Reyes, and he definitely deserves to get a rematch. I mean, I don't I don't think there's any contenders at light heavyweight right now that could fight John Jones, and we'd be excited. Obviously, this weekend we have um, Jan Blahovich versus Corey Anderson. I don't want to see either of them fight for a title. Not that either of them haven't earned it, but I don't want to see it, and I don't think a lot of people want to see it either. I, I'm not interested in a John Jones and Corey Anderson fight, and I'm not interested in a John Jones and Jan Blahovich fight. It's just not something we're interested in. Now, we have Tiago Santos, who might be back. In a couple months, maybe three, four months, he'll be back. Um, he had that ACL tear where he, I believe he might have tore both of his knees. But, or it, no, it was an ACL, MCL, and LCL tear. I believe he tore all the ligaments in one of his knees. I believe it was his left knee or his right knee. No, I think it was the right knee because that was his power hand. But, I mean, you got to see who, who he fights. If I was going to book the next fight for him, I would say whoever wins between Anthony Smith and Glover Teixeira should fight Tiago Santos in his return. And then you do Dominic Reyes, John Jones, too, maybe in June. Maybe June. Um, yeah, I would say probably June would be good. May or June for uh, Jones-Reyes number two. It might. It will probably be later on in the year, just depending on how much, how frequent Jones wants to fight and how quickly they can get back to book that rematch. But I would say I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that we get a rematch here. And guys, like I said, if you didn't listen to my UFC 247 predictions, I basically called the fight. I mean, I said first round knockout for Dominic Reyes, so I was not correct in my prediction. But I did say that Dominic Reyes was a lot more dangerous than people were giving him credit for. He was a lot more powerful, and he had a lot more variety, and he was very smart in his approach in all of his fights. And like I said, I believe he won. I, I believe three rounds to two. You could give Jones three rounds out of the out of the five, but, I mean, honestly, I, there's no reason. The 49-46 scorecard from the final judge, I don't know what kind of drugs they were on when they were watching that fight, but it must have been really good stuff to think that John Jones won four of those rounds. I mean, if John Jones won four of those rounds, then I have a unicorn shitting on my head right now as I'm doing this podcast. Uh, yeah, and it didn't happen. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the judges were on, but there were a lot of, there were a lot of, you know, controversial decisions that night. And I, I'm excited. You know, Dominic Reyes showed that he belongs. He is at the top of the upper echelon of the light heavyweight division. And in a rematch, I don't know who I would favor because when you look at John Jones' track record, he had a rematch against Gustafson and he basically just whitewashed him. He rematched Daniel Cormier in the close first fight and then head kick knockout in the second fight, even though he didn't look that good in the beginning of that second fight against DC. But, I mean, I think Dominic Reyes can get the job done, man. He, Like I said, his angles, his footwork, backing up, striking, backing up, that's a great thing for Dominic Reyes. That's one thing I wish he would have done a little bit more. He did great with, like I said, the variety. The variety was the key for Dominic Reyes. And the, and the beautiful angles that he would cut when Jones would move in, he would throw that wide lead right hook to step off on the angle and throw that left hand. Um, he threw the right. The right hook was always used to direct Jones into the power left of Dominic Reyes and to get the outside angle and then try to catch him on the jaw or just to get an angle so that he had a better traje 
better trajectory. I'm sorry, I can't talk. Better trajectory to land that power left. And he did a great job, man. And I, I couldn't be happier of the fight that we got. And I hope we get Jones Reyes too next. Um, another fight on the card, obviously, Valentina Shevchenko dominates Caitlin Chukagian. I mean, it wasn't a close fight at all. I expected Caitlin to have a little bit of success, to be honest, but, you know, it, it just wasn't to be. And uh, the beginning of the fight, you know, it was a third round TKO. She ended up, Valentina landed a beautiful spinning hook kick to the head of Caitlin Chukagian, and it landed flush, smacked her right in the face. I don't know how she survived that. But when she got her on the ground, it was just very, very heavy top control from side control. Valentina doesn't normally get into a mount position or get you in guard. She gets you in a, in like an over-under clinch or a tie clinch, and she steps to the outside of one of your legs with her lead foot, pulls you down, and then sweeps you to end up in a side control position and then just suffocates you in side control. And that's what she did to Chukagian in this fight. And then she ended up getting into the crucifix position, which is where you're in a side control position, which means your opponent is flat on their back and you are on their side, um, chest, lateral, or uh, perpendicular to their chest. And you take their one hand and you put it in between your legs and lock it together. And you lock the other hand on the opposite side with your um, rear hand and hold it there, and then strike them in that position. That's what Valentina Shevchenko did and ended up getting that third-round TKO. But she cut Caitlin Chukagian early in the round with uh, an elbow from the ground. She had a very, very solid elbow that she landed and uh, cut Caitlin Chukagian. And just a dominating performance for the bullet Valentina Shevchenko here. Moved to 19-3. and Caitlin Chukagian, 13-3 and now. You know, I don't know where she goes from here. Um, and, and depending on and who I would like to see Valentina Shevchenko fight next, um, you know, it's tough because I don't really see anybody in that strawweight division giving giving Valentina Shevchenko or a flyweight division. I'm sorry, I don't really see a lot of people in the flyweight division giving Valentina Shevchenko a hard fight. I mean, she's so ahead of the curve in terms of her competition. Her striking is on another level compared to people in that division. I'm not saying there aren't good strikers in uh, the UFC who could give her trouble. I mean, she beat one of the best strikers in the world, Joanna Janjacek. And, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot that she could do. Um, I don't know who she would fight. If I'm going to book the next fight, I say move up to 135 and give us the trilogy fight with Amanda the Lioness Nunes. I don't think there's really anybody for Amanda Nunes to fight currently. There's nobody for Valentina. This is the perfect time. Book it for International Fight Week in July, maybe June, June, July. Do a 135-pound championship fight between the Amanda the Lioness Nunes and Valentina Shevchenko, number three. I think that's a fight we need. I think this is the perfect time to make it, and that's what I would do. If not, um, maybe like Joanne Calderwood, like I said, I think that JoJo Calderwood would be a good fight. She beat Andrea Lee in her last fight. And then lost to Caitlin Chukagian at UFC 238. And then prior to that, um, she beat Kalinda Faria by round one submission. Um, she lost to Cynthia Calvillo back in 2017. And in 2016, she lost to Jessica Andrade and she beat Valerie Letourneau. So I would like to see JoJo Calderwood and Valentina Shevchenko. I, I mean, I know it, it probably wouldn't be the most competitive of fights, but I think it would be a fun fight. And uh, JoJo's a very solid Muay Thai practitioner and a good kickboxer. So I would love to see what the striking exchanges looked like from, uh, from her. 
Um, yeah, but another other good fights on the card. I mean, there was so much to go over. Um, we also had, let's see. I mean, obviously, Derek Lewis won his fight against Alir Latifi, Latifi via unanimous decision. Uh, I thought the first round definitely went to Derek Lewis. I thought the second round went to Alir Latifi. The third round was looking like it was on its way to going to Alir Latifi, but Derek Lewis just put on the pressure and pace and uh, busted him up towards the end of that third round. But yeah, I'm glad that Derek Lewis got the win here in his hometown of Houston, Texas. And yeah, I'm excited. I think there's a lot. Um, when it comes to what I would see next for Derek Lewis after this fight, I mean, I don't really know at this current point. Uh, maybe give him... I mean, he's he's on a two-fight win streak, but before that he lost to... Um, he lost to Junior Dos Santos, and then prior to that, lost to Daniel Cormier. So that was two losses in a row, but then he beat Blago even off at 244, and now he beat Alir Latifi. When it comes to a next fight for him, I would say maybe give him the loser of Nganu versus Rosenstrike. And if you don't want to do that, then give him... Uh, I don't know. It's tough, man, because uh, Stipe is going to fight DC, I would venture to say. And if not, maybe he'll fight John Jones. I would love to see Stipe and John Jones. So, yeah, I'm not really sure what you do next for Derek Lewis, but I'm excited and, you know, Black Beast in this hell. <laughs> what else? Um, Dan Eig, Dan Ige, and Mirsad Bektic put on a fantastic fight on that main card. Fantastic matchup here. Um, first round, I gave it to Dan Ige. I thought he came out and put on the pre put on the pressure, landed very, very strong strikes. That left hook was busting up Mirsad Bektic in the early rounds, the early first round. That left hook, right uppercuts, power right hands, good kicks from Dan Ige, good kicks to the body, um, good kicks to the legs. Just really, he put on a clinic in that first round. And then in the second round, like I said, I thought that Bektic was going to have an advantage if it came to the grappling, and he showed that in the second round. With the takedown, he got a good he got a good takedown, got in top control position, and basically rode out the entire round and almost submitted Dan Ige with a arm triangle choke. I thought it was very very close. He did not end up getting to full side control, or uh, he did not end up passing the guard fully with that knee on belly position to to really put pressure and uh, power into that arm triangle choke. But he was close, and it was close, and if. He had a few more seconds in that choke. I think Bektich could have uh, submitted him. But Danny Gay got out of it. And then in the third round, um, I don't know, man. You know, I thought that that third round was close, but I think Ige just did a little bit, a little bit of a smidge ahead of what Bektich did. But it was a great contest. I mean, and then Bektich came on in that second round with good strikes. He was landing good combinations and pushing Ige back. And then Ige came back in that third round and was busting up. He has so much power in his punches. His punches sound like gunshots when they land on his opponents. Just bah, 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 bah. Just constant pressure, constant power, and a really, really good performance from Dan Ige here. He improves to 13-2, and two, and Mirsad Bektic is now, I believe, 13-3. and three. Um, I don't know who you give Bektic next. I, I really don't. It's a, he's in a tough spot. He's on a three-fight losing streak, I believe. He lost to he lost to Josh Emmett, and then he lost to obviously lost to Dan Ige. But he's right up in the mix, I believe. I don't think he's done to say the least. I think he has a lot more fight left in him, and I can't wait to see what's next for him. 
Um, yeah, what else? I mean, Justin Taffa ended up knocking out Juan Adams. I, I was wrong on that one. I believe I picked Adams to beat him, but he he knocked him out in the first round with that vicious uppercut to ground and pound shots. Or it was basically just a one-punch knockout. That uppercut dropped him. I believe he got back up and then got hit with another uppercut and uh, put to bed. So, yeah, great, great, great card overall. A lot better than I think people gave it credit for. There, there were some really, really good fights, really solid fights. Like I said, if you did not see Dan Ige and Mirsad Bektic, definitely go out of your way to watch that fight. But uh, Bektic, or, uh, Dan Ige got the split decision. It was a close fight. Like I said, it was not unanimous, and it was my most, forward, most looked forward to fight on the card, and I think it definitely lived up to the hype. Uh, when it, let's get into some fight announcements. Um, obviously, there was some just announced on the broadcast of UFC, 247 or during the broadcast for UFC on ESPN plus 30 on April 11th. Some really, really solid fights. First off, the main event in the heavyweight division. It's a fight that should have happened a few months ago, but obviously Walt Harris with the tragic passing of his daughter or his niece, I believe. I believe it was his niece, right? Let's see. Walt Harris' daughter. No, it was his daughter, wasn't it? I don't, I don't know why I keep thinking niece, but let's see. Yeah, Ania Blanchard, his daughter, you know, passed away, tragic passing, and he had to pull out of the fight. So thoughts and prayers are with him, but he's back and he's ready, and it's going to be the rebooking of his fight against the Reem Alistair Overeem. Walt Harris is 13-7, and 6-6 six and six in the UFC. Alistair Overeem 45-18, and 18, and in the UFC he's 10-7. and seven. You know, this is a good fight, a good main event for this card on April 11th. I I'm not going to pick who I would lean towards in this fight. Um, I think early on you favor Walt Harris just because he has so much power and Reem has been knocked out a lot of times in his career, but he still can fight. If if Overeem fights technical, I think he runs away with the fight and I think he just, you know, pieces up Walt Harris. But if he gets caught, Harris can definitely put him to sleep. And that's, yeah, and then uh, other fights for the card as well. In the women's strawweight division, we have Carla the Cookie Monster Esparza versus the karate hottie Michelle Watterson. This is a very, very solid matchup right here. Um, Carla Esparza, 15-6, and 6-4 six, six and four in the UFC. Michelle Watterson, 17 wins, 7 losses, and 5-3 and three in the UFC. This is a very, very good matchup here and a really close matchup because, like I said, because, you know, to be honest, it depends where the fight takes place. If Carla Esparza is able to get the takedowns and work her top game, she could definitely beat Watterson. But on the feet and in the clinch, um, I give the advantage to Michelle. She has very good throws from the clinch position, and she also is a very, very, very good striker, really good kicks. And I think the kicks could be a problem for Carla Esparza, but she always also has to watch out on how many kicks she throws so they don't get caught and uh, wind up getting her taken down from Carla the Cookie Monster Esparza. It's one of those fights where whoever can put the fight where they want it to take place, whoever can get it into their wheelhouse, if it's a grappling contest and uh, Esparza can close the distance, I think she runs away with it. But on the feet, I think Michelle Watterson gets it done. I'm going to lean towards the karate hottie Michelle Watterson to win here. I think she has more tools. I think her striking is so far above Carla Esparza and her grappling is not on the same level, but I think she can close up the holes of her grappling with the uh, good striking that she has and uh, really give a tough fight to Carla Esparza, but I'm excited for that fight nonetheless. And then another fight 
announced for the card is in the welterweight division. We have Randy Brown versus Vicente Luque. This is a fantastic matchup for the welterweight division. Um, the Randy Brown's record is 12-3 and and 6-3 and in the UFC. Vicente Luque, 17 wins, 7 losses, 1 no contest, and 10-3 and in the UFC. Really, really good matchup here. This card is great with just these three fights announced. I mean, you got Randy Brown, Vicente Luque, Carlos Barza, Michelle Waterson, and Walt Harrison, Alistair Overeem. Really, really good fights to make here. And I'm extremely excited. Um, Randy Brown and Vicente Luque. What a what a great matchup here. Because, you know, I don't really know who has the advantage in the grappling. I would lean towards Randy Brown in terms of a wrestling aspect. But in jiu-jitsu and, and like grappling aspects, I would lean towards Vicente Luque. I think he has the better submissions. I think he has a very, very, very good Darce choke that Randy Brown's going to have to watch out for. And on the feet, I think Brown's a good striker. You know, he can stick and move and land. But against Vicente Luque, I think Luque's, you know, on another level. He did get kind of picked apart by Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, but he had his moments in that fight and was able to catch Stephen Thompson a lot with his shots and uh, pressure him. So I think the pressure and the striking and just the overall technique of Vicente Luque is going to be the key for him against Randy Brown. I think that the technique... Technique is going to be the key in this fight. I think that that's the reason I got to lean towards Luque. I think he is sharp on the feet. I think he is patient enough to find an opening on Randy Brown, exploit it, and uh, hurt him. We saw Randy Brown get TKO'd by Nico Price. And I believe in his last fight, he let's see who he fought in his last fight. I believe he beat Warley Elvez by submission. But let's just check this out really quick. I want to make sure that we get this correctly. So Walt Harris, last fight. Not Walt Harris. Oh, my God. Sorry, guys. Randy Brown, last fight. Uh, it was against Warley Elvis. Yeah, a second-round submission. And then he beat Brian Barbarina via third-round TKO. And prior to that, he lost to Nico Price via knockout. So this fight's going to be fireworks. It's going to be fantastic. I don't know who's going to win. That's one of the closest matchups announced for the card so far. But yeah, that UFC on ESPN Plus 30 on April 11th is looking stacked. And Luke versus Brown will steal the show, mark my words. Um, another fight <coughs> that's announced but it's not confirmed yet is uh, a featherweight matchup added to UFC 249 on April 18th. A fantastic fight between top contenders. We have Brian T. City Ortega versus Abit Magomed Sharapov. This is a fantastic fight. One of the best fights of the year if it takes place. And one of the best fights you could possibly make in that featherweight division. I would have liked to see Zabit versus the Korean Zombie or the Korean Zombie versus Brian Ortega, but this fight together, these two guys together is going to be fireworks. And if that is added to 249, it was talked about that it was confirmed, but now, you know, they're saying that there's a little roadblock and Brian Ortega wants the fight to be five rounds. He wants it on a fight night, not three rounds. So who knows if it's actually going to take place, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say it gets added to the card and if it gets added to the card, this would be what the card looks like so far. Khabib versus Tony Ferguson. Rose Namajunas, Jessica Andrade, number two. Brian Ortega versus Abit Magomed Sharapov. Kelvin Katar versus Jeremy Stevens. And Uriah Hall versus Jacare Souza. That is a fantastic main card. Probably one of the best main cards the UFC has ever put on. 
that will be the best pay-per-view of the year if this card goes comes to fruition and everything takes place. Knock on wood. Knock on wood that it takes place. But guys, and uh, let's go into Zabit and Brian Ortega a little bit. It's a tough matchup because I feel like on the feet, Zabit has an advantage. But you look at what Brian Ortega and Max Holloway's fight looked like at UFC 231, one of my favorite fights of 2019. And, you know, it, it, or 2018, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was at the end of the year in 2018. But a great matchup there. And Brian Ortega's good on the feet. He's good at slipping to the inside and landing uppercuts and, and moving in with his jab and, and right hand and just slipping on the inside and outside. But I would have to give the advantage in the striking to Zabit. I think of the variety and his kicks. His kicks are going to be the main you know, objective in this fight against Brian Ortega. The spinning back kicks, the jumping two-touch roundhouse kicks, the flying knees, um, spinning back fist fakes into uppercuts and hooks and, and clinch positions and trips. But I would say that Zabit's probably going to avoid the takedown and the grappling at all costs against Brian Ortega. I think in the grappling, nobody is a better grappler and some nobody's a better submission artist than Brian T. City Ortega. If he gets a hold of Zabit's neck or arm or leg, he's going to put him to bed. He's going to tap him out. He's going to submit him. And I, that's against anybody, even Khabib. If Khabib and Brian Ortega fought, which is that is a fight I would love to see. Brian T. City Ortega versus Habib Nurmagomedov at, at 155. Just based on, you know, Brian Ortega's Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and his, his ability to lock up guillotines and chokes and rear naked chokes and triangles, it, it, it's fantastic. And I and who I would lean towards in this fight against uh, between Brian Ortega and Zabit, I, I really don't know at the current moment. I would say probably I would be leaning towards I would lean towards uh, Ortega in this one. To be honest, I think that I think that on the feet he's good enough to land against Zabit, and on the ground I think he has a very very solid advantage. But it really is it's another one of those fights where wherever the fight takes place. But Brian Ortega is no slouch on the feet, and I believe he is above Zabit on the ground, which is which is you know tough to say because he has very very good grappling. You know his Dagestan type of wrestling and and trip takedowns and top control is good, but against Brian Ortega, if he gets in his guard and gets locked up in a submission or in a triangle, it's going to be lights out for Zabit. And yeah, I'm going to lean towards Brian T. City Ortega to get the win here, and I think he's going to finish Zabit Magomed Sharipov. Obviously, I'll have a more detailed breakdown when we get closer to UFC 249 on April 18th, but guys, this card is absolutely fantastic, and I cannot wait to break that down for you, and I cannot wait to see it. It is one of the cards I am the most excited for when it comes to to the UFC. So yeah, we're going to cut the part off here, guys, and we're going to move into the second part of this episode. So I'll catch you on the second part. It's going to be mainly WWE and NXT TakeOver Portland predictions. So catch on the second part, guys. All right.